Okay, um, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the National Library. I'm delighted to see you all here today. Um, this is another in our Library Matters uh, series of lunchtime lectures, where what we're trying to do is um, bring inspirational library speakers um, to share their experience, their wisdom, um, uh, stories that might um, inspire us, um, frighten us sometimes, that's okay too, I think, but um, really to share the story of how librarians are um, evolving, how the practice and the institutions are evolving um, in the changing world and um, new challenges that we face. So it's my absolute pleasure um, to um, introduce the National Librarian of Denmark, Pernilla Drost. Um, Pernilla has a Master's of Library and Information Science and she's the Deputy Director General of the Royal Danish Library and Head of the National Library in Copenhagen. The National Library is housed in, um, I think we're going to see a picture, a really beautiful um, building called the Black Diamond and it's a very significant cultural institution as well. Pernilla is responsible for the strategic development and management of the National Library and I can say I had the pleasure of spending three days with her <laughs> reviewing um, the Royal Library of Belgium last year and it was absolutely a, a very inspirational experience and something that really stayed with me. So I think you're going to enjoy this talk. Thanks very much Pernilla. Thank you. Thank you and uh, thank you for inviting me. And uh, as some might, um, if you know Denmark, might um, think it's weird is that we're saying the National Library in Copenhagen, but it's because we've been merged with the State Library in Aarhus, which means that we now have two branches of the National Library. Um, I've asked a question if, um, about collections versus libraries, and um, I guess that to some it might seem like an odd thing to set the two as opposites. Um, but I think I've been with the Royal Library now for like three and a half years, and to me the collections versus the library is getting more and more significant. I want to talk a bit about this today. Um, I'll talk about my confusion, um, try to explain it, and I'll try to come up with some sort of conclusion or at least some recommendations as to uh, trying to fully integrate the two concepts. A bit of where I come from. This is the Royal Library in Denmark. We have two major um, tasks. We are a big university library and, of course, the National Library. The Red Building is the first big National Library building in, from 1906. And the other one, the Black Building, as you see, is from 1997 and called the Black Diamond. And as you might see, they're actually combined. So you can enter into the Diamond and then walk all the way through and come through, through the, the building. Uh, the garden with the beautiful lake is called the Library Garden. Normally it's a beautiful, tranquil um, gem in Copenhagen, but last year Pokemon had five access points, <laughs> which means that the beautiful lawn that you now see is um, has been completely um, ruined uh, because we had like four or five hundred people every day for three months just running amok like, I mean, like I've never seen anything like, like it before. Um, and suddenly I've always been very pro-user and never always been like setting things free to the public and I became very, very much restricted um, and very angry. Uh, but unfortunately, it's another department that has the, the garden, but now we just agree that no more Pokemon. Um, so we got the Pokemon spots by the sea so the kids, they can just like 
jump into the sea if they want to, but please leave the lawn. But it's a very significant place because on the other side of the lake is the parliament. So when you're in the, in the red building, you can look at the parliament and you can see the state archive. It's three, four hundred years of, of history within uh, a few hundred meters and very much the, the foundation that we're based on. Um, the, the Royal Library in, in the building, we have, just like here in Ireland, we have the special collections, we have um, legal deposit, and the legal deposit is a very big thing in Denmark, always a very um, prominent thing of uh, our job, at least it should be. The collections that we have are manuscripts collection, prints and photographs, maps, um, rare books collection, music, drama, we have an, also an Oriental and Judaica collection, which is quite a coincidence because we had some private collectors that donated them years ago. Uh, we have the National Legal Deposit. We don't have the National Bibliography, but um, hopefully we will get it. At least um, <clears throat> said in this, in this setting, I would like to have it. It's within a, a private contract at the moment, but I would really love to get it back. Also, in addition to this, we have a big preservation unit. We have a digitization apartment and we have a digital preservation and not least we are running the reading rooms um, of the library and running many, many kilometers of storage. This is from the inside from the new building. What you see in the sides are the reading rooms. On the right side is the closed reading room where all the legal deposit materials and special collections are in a closed reading room on the, on the left side is where everyone is an open reading room where the students can go, where people from the public can go. You don't need to have a, a lending card or a ticket to get in the library. In, in the floor, we get in, we have a cafe, we have a bookstore, and it's very much a place where you go to hang out. In the summertime, there's a lot of chairs outside and it's very wonderful and it's a cultural spot in Copenhagen. On the other side, you see the, uh, the old reading room from the old red building. And it's absolutely, it's a very beautiful reading room, but very old, very cold in winter and very warm in summer. But nevertheless, the students love it. Uh, we don't need to have any librarians or hushing installments in that reading room because the uh, students do it themselves. Actually, they complain about me and other um, working in the library that we make too much noise if we show people around. <laughs> and the last picture is the old storage room which is inside the red building, and very much like here, cast iron shells, uh, construction from basement to roof, cannot be moved, and is see-through all the way through the shelving, because at the time when it was made, we didn't have electrical, and you could have, couldn't have gas lighting, so you're very much dependent on daylight through the different uh, floors. And these shells are actually the reason why the Royal Library was the first library where women were allowed to wear pants because you can actually see from the basement to fourth number floor. <laughs> so actually, that, it's really the odd things that kind of make the rules, and that's also what I'm going <laughs> to talk to you about. This is the National Library of Austria. It's in Vienna, and it's absolutely beautiful. It was constructed within three years by, uh, by the king, in, and I think it was around in the period of 1783 and three years forward. Everything is constructed in order to comply with the books. All the shelving is made when you knew the size of the books, 
behind the shelves you have hidden staircases, hidden storage for the the art science books. It's very beautiful. It was very wealthy. I don't know what it was like in Ireland, but in Denmark in 1780s we were just like just coming out of the mud holes. But the the the, the economy in Central Europe, in in Austria, in France, in Germany, it was they had so much money compared to um, to Europe. And um, the courts and the nobility in, in this region were very big, and therefore they had very big libraries. And the reason why I'm showing you this picture is because to me it's very much the notion of the national libraries. The collection of books as a sign of wealth, as a sign of knowledge, as a sign of um, competing with other countries, competing with other collectors, and that the book is the subject, is the artifact, but it's not the content that matters. And this to me is very much the, to, to my extent, the, the contradiction in a library sense, because to me a library, a library doesn't make sense unless someone reads what's in the books or see the photographs or do something with the information. To me a book, a photograph, a map, a coin, whatever you have, is an information carrying material. And it doesn't make sense before someone has received this information and turned it into knowledge or an experience or some kind of mental um, product. But the national libraries, they were constructed a long, long time before we even discussed having knowledge to the people. And that was the same within the, the library in Denmark. It was made by the King III, Frederick, King the, who was the third. Uh, in 1683, and at that time he had 20,000 books. That was a lot, and that was quite wealthy considering the region. Uh, and he constructed the first, actually, that became the state archive within the library um, uh, area. He constructed um, the first reading room inspired by the French king, but he didn't have the money to make the, the same building, so he had to do it in in constructing with where you put in this, the ships, the big battleships, when they needed to be repaired. So he put it on top of, um, of one of those buildings. And a hundred years later, only in, in, the 17, in the end of the 1780s, we started lending out the books, or not lending out, but at least giving access to the books. For a hundred years, the books were only for the king, for his possession, um, for his nobility, and the, the way you got the books was buying them. And then during the 18th century, we started, we started giving access, but not to the everyday man. It was to the scholar, it was to the clergy, it was to the ministers, it was to the politicians and the nobility. It wasn't for the common man. And then the 1853 in the US, the big movement with research and, and libraries for the public started. And that's where the modern library history began in the US, about getting research materials, getting knowledge to the people, having um, skilled um, people, actually having some sort of librarianship. That's when you started. We had Dewey, we had cataloging, we had classification systems. And that's what really is the inheritance that the, that the Western and the European research and public libraries are, are based on, but not the national libraries. We all started, most of us started, and even in, 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 here in, in Ireland it started in another context of gathering the best within the scholarly field. 
Um, so we never started, as a national libraries, we didn't really start by having the, the desire to give out the information, which means that have, being a national library sometimes doesn't feel like having, like being a library. The other thing is what I think in, in the libraries is that we have the collections have decided what we look like. If we go back to, to the Black Diamond, on the right side we have the big closed reading room on the top above. We, have a we did have, now it's open to the public, it was a closed reading room for the music. On the left, big reading room. On, on top of that one, reading room for the maps and, um, and photographs. We didn't make reading rooms out of content. If you look at it, the way you like make collections in national libraries is from a material point of view. The photograph as a material, the book as a material. Then you can divide the book. Is it a rare book? Is it a legal deposit book? That's the division. But it's not like, is it fictional? Is it non-fiction? Is it good? Is it a bestseller? Is it um, a small? small self-publishing house who's done it. It's, that's, not, that, that's not even, I mean, we don't even catalog in the National Library whether it's fictional or non-fictional. We put it on the shelf, just as it comes in as legal deposit. We don't really care about the content. I got an approach from a public library the other day who wants to do a big project about uh, promoting the big Danish classics in the, in the literature, and she said, who do, who do I have to talk to to talk about the classics? And I said, no one. We don't have that. We don't, um, we haven't classified the literature into classics or not classics or the best of the Danish literature. And that is kind of a contradiction being a national library. I do have a collection of very rare books. It might be rubbish, content-wise, but it's very expensive binding. It's made maybe in the 17th century. It's got gold on the back of the book. I know it might be calf or cow skin, might be sheep, a young sheep. We can actually decide whether it's a young sheep or an old sheep because a young sheep has a more, has a more a, a better binding. Actually, you have to kill them as young as possible. It makes really good book binding, I found out, with the preservation um, department. So I have a lot of information about the rare books, about how they look like, how they look like an artifact. But I know very, very little about what is inside the book. Is the information really important? Actually, we do have rare books in Denmark which are different binding, but the same content. Is the same Bible? Or is the same translation of the Bible? Or is the same uh, writing of the... the um, the manifesto of uh, when we became Lutheran. But we be, we, even though it's the same content, we keep buying books because the binding is different. I don't think any public library buys books because it has a different binding. Another way about artifacts is that most national libraries have a treasure um, exhibition. Here you have a kind of a treasure exhibition with the Yates um, collection, but not the treasures within the library, but you could have it. In Brussels, as, as um, Sandra just mentioned, they have what they call a librarium. We said 
in our <laughs> in our report about the library that they might try to find another word because it wasn't really that obvious to the public what a librarian means. It might be to them. This is uh, our treasure um, exhibition. And please interrupt me if you have any questions or comments along the way. Um, we have a new installment in the exhibition area every third year. It's a permanent exhibition, but we we match it up differently. This is by a Russian pop artist. And I can tell you that the Norwegian uh, National Librarian, he hates pop art. So the, the, the things that came out of his mouth when he saw this room for the first time is, was really not very pretty. But it's been removed. In the middle, you see like the carousel. You can see artifacts. And, um, and the picture that I've been zooming into is the Gothenburg Bible. Again, if you look at the description on the website of this Bible and in, in the exhibition, it says Gothenburg Bible. Very precious because it's the first example of the Gothenburg uh, printing. Um, it says a lot of the book binding, the pagination, um, and that is very, very expensive. And that's how all the books and the artifacts. We have one of the biggest North American, very, very beautiful um, atlas of birds, North American birds from 1883, it says it's very, very precious, but I don't know how many birds are inside the book when I leave, and I don't know, um, I do know who made it, but I only again know that it's very uh, valuable, but again, what about the content? And I think that, again, it shows the way, I think a public library would never do that. They would have a theme. That's why Yates is a really good exhibition. It has sounds, it has context. There are things that you can get close to. You have little rooms you can, you can explore and you get the content in a context. It's not just, had it been at the Royal Library in, in Denmark, had it been the National Library for like 10 years ago and we had done a similar exhibition, we would have shown the books and the manuscripts, period. Nothing else. And I think that the Yates here is really, really good. And it's very, and I mean, when looking at it, it's how old, 10 years now, eight years old? And that's really, it's been really, um, doing that just 10 years ago, it must have been a really new thing, but I think it works really, really well. But we're gonna have a new installation. And actually, um, I cannot give you this PowerPoint afterwards because it's a big secret. But maybe you know the, the performance artist, Marina Abramovic, and she's doing a new installation of the treasure. So when she came to see it, she's never done anything like that. Normally she always uses herself in the installations. And uh, she thought that the task was being so weird and, and so different from what she normally does that she um, do, that she, um, that she agreed. And we've always been able to do it because we got some um, funding from a private sponsor. Otherwise we wouldn't have had the money to do it. And she came and she saw this the pop artists have been taken out and the room is black and it is stemmed because we need to protect the materials. And she kept asking the curators and she kept asking the people who are responsible for the exhibition, what about this, what's the content? And no one really, oh, well, that's kind of Blixen. Oh yeah, but is it a good book? I don't know, but it's kind of Blixen and this is her original manuscript because we know that she's, she's well known abroad. But is, is the book good? Actually, I don't like the book, I must admit. And, and, um, it's not, you're not allowed to say that as a Dane, but I really think, I, I really don't like her as an author. But we have her manuscripts and she's well, very well known. 
So what Marina is doing, which I think is really cool, is that she says, again, it's not about the artifact we need to get, we need to know what's in them. So all the treasures, she's gonna, um, she's gonna read aloud. We're doing English translations of, of the works and she's gonna, it's gonna be, uh, ordered. And then you will be able to go into the exhibition and lie down and listen to it. People will be provided with little wooden boxes with an uh, iPod shuffle inside and you won't be able to reverse. You can only pause, but you cannot reverse. You are, requested you actually have to leave all digital you have to leave your mobile phone you have to leave your ipad whatever you have of gadgets before entering the room to make sure that no one is is uh, is disturbed um inside the room and then you will get this little wooden box with the shovel inside and then you can walk around and look at the content or you can lie down or you can sit on these wooden installations um <laughs> what we are doing right now is trying to make them a bit more comfortable. Um, these are the first. <laughs> we did some mock-ups in wood, and they were a bit hard. It was a bit. Um, we, we, we're doing something with some some uh, to make it a bit more comfortable. But I like the notion that she again said that it doesn't matter that I see a book. I need to know what's inside the book. I want to feel it. I want to make it like contextual. I want to just get close to the work. And I think that's very much um, the right way to look at it. And I think that's a way forward for the national libraries in the way that we work. Oh, that was super. If you look at the hierarchy also in a national library, when I, what I come from, I've never worked in a public library before I came to the Royal Library. Um, I used to, this is why I really like the shouting in the street because I used to be the president of the trade union of the librarians. So I strongly support collective agreements <laughs> and loud protesting because I, I never got to be in a demonstration with the librarians. That was in the 70s and the 80s and I would have loved to try it, but librarians, they really don't want to protest. I must admit they're too, um, they're too calm. So I came, I came with the background of being, having my daily work being in public libraries and normal research and academic libraries. So coming to the National Library with closed shelves was a bit of a surprise because I came with the intention of a lot of outreach, um, user-orientated uh, communication, and that's not really, that is really difficult to establish. And then I met the hierarchy of the collections. And I hope I don't offend anyone, but I must say that legal deposit is not as as um, well seen as the um, manuscripts department. And I found out in Brussels and in Germany and other places that the manuscripts department is on top of the food chain. And then I found out that in the UK and the Ireland, you actually call it keeper, which is really different to Denmark. You just a the head of department or just like working in the manuscripts department. There's a hierarchy um, with the manuscripts department. Then you have maps, photographs. You have the music department. I can't find out. It depends on the director at the, at the place. Either is above the photographs or below. It depends on, on, the, on the management. And then you have legal deposit. And when I came to the, to the National Library in Copenhagen, the, the, the legal deposit department was the ones being left in the corner. 
despite that the only the only legislation in my library that I have to abide to is legal deposit. It doesn't say anywhere that we need a national library. It doesn't say anywhere in the, the legislation that we need special collections. It doesn't say anywhere that we need reading rooms. But it does say that I have to take care of legal deposit and that I have to give it to the users. But nevertheless, and I see it all through Europe, is the special collections that gets the attention. That's where you have the highest level of academics and scholarly production. And then you have the librarians and the library assistants working in the legal deposit units or departments. And that's really interesting. So what we're working at at the moment is that these needs to be in balance. Manuscripts are not better, finer than the legal deposit book is equal. And the emphasis in doing it in the best possible professional way is the same. Um, also, what I found out is there are too few librarians in national libraries, or actually people with the library information science skills. Um, because I, I totally agree that it's very important that you might be a historian with a certain uh, subject and that you understand the content that you have. That you understand, for instance, some of the rare books. But that does not mean that you're good at cataloging, processing, packing, storaging, and having a general process. And that's what we're working with as well, is that we just made this survey of cataloging. And very much, and we're just, you could say that the National Library in Denmark is just like 10 years behind the rest of the academic and research libraries in Denmark and Europe. Because in Denmark, you won't find any research librarians anymore. You only have information specialists and, and librarians that are the same, and the same education. Um, but in the National Library, we still have research librarians that are the only ones allowed to catalog certain items, even though when we test it, the librarians are much better because they're generalists. So they do it in a more generalist way, means less time. And we know that we do with the surveys that when people search for the materials, they don't need all these keywords. And if you just do just a little quick and dirty search in all the library research journals, you will know that with free text search, you don't need an in-depth cataloging for every object that you have, which means that we're going to change that at the National Library. And it's, it's not um, completely um, obvious to everybody why, but it, it will be. <laughs> so if everything is so bad in the National Libraries, then why work in them? And at the same time, I say I love being in the National Library. I think that the, the, uh, the art stuff that you find, you can have archives with the most bizarre things. Um, you get to meet um, a world of of content if you start working with the content with I mean it's just like with um, variety um, that you wouldn't meet in in other things I mean in the university libraries they almost haven't got anything in print it's electronic resources everything which makes completely sense um, but I do like the more archival side of the national libraries but what we're working with at the moment, and I think that all national libraries should be working with um, in the future, is just moving towards much more digital humanities. 
I think that is the way. I think digitization is going to be the way that we can promote the national libraries and the content. But it does require a completely different thing about working with it. Again, at the moment, we are gatekeepers. We have been for several hundreds of years. We kept the information from the people and we protected it to the king and the nobility. That's kind of the context. But what we're trying now at the moment is when we digitize things and we put it out into the scholarly community or put it out to a focus group, suddenly things come alive. We have made a big newspaper digitization program and suddenly people who were doing research in names, they found out they had this girl's name and they couldn't find out where did this girl's name come from and suddenly they could do free text searching in 50 years of newspapers just very easily and they found out that this name they thought <laughs> came from Nordic mythology actually came from a play <laughs> in, the, in the beginning of the, in the 1920s from a cabaret and someone invented a name and the cabaret was very popular and that's why everybody started calling their daughter this name. And they've been researching and researching, but they never ever had the access to the amount of information and the easy access to the information. But we need to tell these researchers and we need to tell these students and we need to tell the public libraries and librarians and, and the common user how to access it. Um, this year we are um, having a lot of focus on Denmark as a colony. We used to have three West Indian islands that were sold to the US in 19. 17 and um, in the best uh, Danish uh, way we always think that we're the good ones so we've actually for 200 years not really been dealing with the years that we actually were a colony and it's only beginning now. So last year we decided to digitize a lot of materials concerning um, this period and that it would be to support that we're going to have a big exhibition in the library, physical exhibition, but we were trying to see how can we get this content to the end users. We have a lot of, of uh, things, we have a lot of photographs, which are actually a bit difficult to, to give out because the way that it was catalogued is you would have pictures of a white child with a name and where she lived and then it just says Negro babysitter. Um, so it's quite, in, in these, in these years, it's quite controversial to, to put out these photographs, at least if we don't mediate it in a good way and explain to people that it's not us using the wording, but that was the way that they spoke at the time. So we have these 3,500 pictures, and then we did a collaboration with a laboratory for history students at the Copenhagen University, and we gave out all the material, some APIs, and they could harvest the materials, but then the curators and the experts from our library, from the content, came and told them, so what is the content? How do you get the right pictures? How do you understand the metadata and so on? And the collaboration between the curators actually giving out the content and mediating it, but leaving it to the end user to decide what to use it for. That's a new thing, and that's a new, that's a new task that we need to take on, is that we do not control the content but we need to be the bridge. And as long as we give these big, big packages, also we have another project which is really fun, is aerial photographs. We have in, in I don't think the same, I don't know if you had the same, but in the 50s, every farmer, with respect for himself, had an aerial photo of his, his, um, his land and his farm. Do you have the same? Yeah. 
So with a company in Denmark who took one million, no, yeah, about one million, no, five million aerial photos. And we are digitizing all of them, again, sponsored privately. And then we put it on a grid with Google Maps and geotagging. And then we have this community who sit at home and do the right geotagging. Because when you do aerial photographs, you, you use, you, you don't get the right geotagging. You get, we, well, all we can put it up is, is, um, records of where the plane went. So it's a bit uncertain if the, if we put the, the farms and the, and the land and, and the, the houses in the right place. But now it's out for crowdsourcing. And these, um, these volunteers, they are a group of the top 20. They're not being paid, but it's become one big um, competition. So each day in the top 20, if they can see that Mr. Jensen, he, uh, now he's on top, he's done the most geotagging, they will do it around midnight, so they're on top again, which means that we've now put out one million aerial photographs, which are completely exactly the place they need to be. And if someone does a wrong geotagging, the other ones will point it into red and make sure that it goes into green. That is amazing. And these people would never, ever go to the National Library. Many of them are spread all over the country. And suddenly we have this great, great community. We communicate them with a daily basis because often they tell us you've done something wrong. And they're often very much right. Um, so we have this great, great advantage of suddenly getting into contact with the users in the general public that we never had. But again, we digitize it, we give people access, but we let them decide what to do with it. And I, when I started the National Library, I had this, this weird experience that we got a complaint from a museum because we wouldn't lend out uh, a manuscript to them. And they actually would like to know why we had said no. And I asked the manuscripts department and they said, well, we looked at the, um, we looked at the exhibition and we didn't think it was a good quality. It's not for us to decide whether a museum has a good or bad um, exhibition. It's up for us to decide, do they comply with the facility report? Is the material safe? Um, can they pay for the transport? That's what we have to deal with. But it can be the worst exhibition in the world. I don't care. I'm a national institution. Of course, they should have the material. And then I asked in the manuscripts department, so if we don't lend it out to the museum, where is the manuscript? Oh, it's in storage. So we'd rather say no to museum and leave a manuscript in storage, not using it. It, it wasn't a particular manuscript. It's not, it wasn't used for, for research instead of letting the, the, the material go out to a, um, an exhibition. And that is your way of thinking as being a gatekeeper and having feeling that the sense of having the right of, of evaluating other people's work, the, uh, the, the academic um, quality of the work, instead of just letting the material out. And that's what we really are going to work with. Um, another thing I found out that's really different also, which is quite interesting with national libraries and public libraries, is uh, the wording, and I think I, I, I talked a little bit about it. When we look at research libraries, they talk about open access, free access to information, outreach programs, um, mediated spaces. Um, if you look at the competencies, you should have strong communication skills as a librarian and just working in a library. 
when I look at the most common used words in a national library, it's storage, preservation, keeper of the manuscripts department, or keeper of another material, it's closed reading rooms, and not least, treasures in the national libraries. So that's my, um, that's gonna be my uh, final words, is that we need to decide in the national libraries, and here we go, if we wanna be the key master. I really do hope you know your blockbusters, otherwise this is really gonna be embarrassing. Um, <laughs> or if you wanna be the gatekeeper. Or with a little twist, if you wanna be the biblio bimbo. <laughs> Thank you.